the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. We are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. Got a jam-packed lineup, and I'm thrilled to kick off the program this evening with my friend and mentor, uh, Dr. Hal Lewis. Uh, Hal, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. I'm great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you. And uh, the reason I introduce you as my mentor is quite uh, literally, you have been my mentor um, as a uh, as a proud alum of a uh, master's uh, program in Chicago. Um, yeah, Hal, you uh, previously served as the uh, president of the of the university of the college and it's just such a pleasure to uh to have you on as you share uh tips through your consulting firm leadership for impact but i love to get to know the person behind the microphone um hal lewis uh can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and about leadership for impact sure thanks and i'm proud to be uh known as your mentor so thank you for that um i am a career nonprofit executive i've run Nonprofit organizations that span a continuum from educational institutions to social service agencies, um, from arts and cultural enterprises uh, to advocacy groups. And I stepped down from my last full-time position just about two years ago now and have since that time uh, been working to try to take everything I've learned and give back in the form of executive coaching. I don't have to tell you, not everyone who is running a 501c3 organization today was academically or professionally prepared for that. And so the work I do at Leadership for Impact is about executive coaching, mostly for the CEO or number two, but increasingly for board members. Also, I know you know this, Shalom, to serve on a not-for-profit board is not the same as running your own business, and it's not the same even as sitting on a corporate board. And so I try to work in my practice both with the employees, the senior employees of a nonprofit, as well as the volunteer board members uh, involved with and charged with overseeing the future of that or those organizations. 
And Hal, we're certainly going to, I want to dive deeper into that uh, comparison or lack thereof, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes between the not-for-profit arena and uh, and the corporate sector. Um, but right now, I try to always focus the, uh, the conversation on Get Down to Business, a mix between the current events as well as, bottom line, I am hopeful that at some point we will be past the pandemic that uh, is the news of the day. But right now, businesses are navigating rocky waters um, due to COVID. What is the role of a leader in communication and decision-making? You have certainly led organizations, and I know that you spend uh, many hours a day uh, coaching and advising boards and CEOs. What, what should they be doing to be successful? Great question, and uh, it's hard to summarize everything um, um, with the kind of detail and nuance that it deserves, but let me see if I can try Many people mistakenly refer to what we're talking about as crisis management. I'm not a big fan of that term. I think what we really need to be talking about is crisis leadership, um, because while there are many times when management and leadership come together and those lies, lines are blurred and we need leaders to be good managers, but in this case, we are talking about leadership, not management, making ethical uh, enduring decisions where people's lives are at stake in the form of employees or in the 501c3 sector in the nonprofit world, certainly stakeholders, clients as well. So here's what I would say. The job of the leader in a crisis is to both tell the truth, say what you know, and also forthrightly say what you do not know. I cannot assure the entire staff will have a job six months from now. I am working every day to make sure that happens. But I need, in order to be believed, I need to be known as someone who tells the truth. As the leader, particularly in a time of crisis such as we're living through right now, I need to have the right combination of empathy and compassion on the one hand and truth-telling on the other. Nobody wants to be sold a bill of goods. It is incorrect and naive to believe that in crisis we serve anybody's long-term best interest by lying to them. People don't want fairy tales in crisis. So this combination of compassion, sensitivity, and truth-telling is what we are looking for in times of crisis. And I think there's many more than just three things, but I think for now, the third thing I would say is that the job of a leader in crisis is to um, paint as clear a picture as possible about life after the crisis. We will get through this. That's true whether you're running a small business whether you're running a huge company, whether you're running a nonprofit organization or an educational institution. Right? There will be life after this pandemic. How we look, what we're doing, we are striving to reinvent ourselves daily, but there will be um, a new world order. It will be different from the world as we have known it now. It's not going to be the same. That's part of the truth-telling. But there will be vibrancy and vitality when this is over, 
And we need to restore the optimism, not naivete, but the optimism that people feel going forward. I'm chatting with uh, Hal Lewis um, from Leadership for Impact. We are talking about about leadership and Hal. Uh, it is not an exaggeration to say that I quote from uh, from your classes on the difference between leadership and management um, almost every day. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the world of employment for the graduating class of. 2020, who, by the way, we celebrate, um, even in this strange, strange time, um, they're entering potentially the worst job market ever. What is your advice for how they can stand out as true talent? Look, that's really a tough one, because what I just said a moment ago is tell the truth. These are really uncertain and frightening times. We need to acknowledge that What I would say, you know, the other day I heard Oprah delivering one of these uh, virtual commencement addresses, and she said something that, that really struck me. She encouraged graduates to understand what their essential service is. You know, Warren Bennis, the now deceased but great teacher of leadership, used to tell students, find what makes you sing. Don't worry what your title will be. Don't worry what your benefits are, the size of your office, but find what makes you sing and pursue it. I think we need to tell graduates today it may take longer to pursue that dream or what makes you sing, but don't give up on it. The other thing I would say, and this may make me unpopular in some circles, is don't let, as the expression goes, don't let perfection become the enemy of the good. You may not find your dream job right away. Go out, experiment, find what makes you sing, take a risk, experiment some more. But in the end, you'll hold on to your dream, but hopefully at some point you'll have employment. And if you say, I only want to do X or Y, I fear you're going to lose the opportunity you have right now in this crisis to take some risks. Words of wisdom, and uh, I, I agree with that. I think it's important to have an identity and, ha- and dream big, but also be practical, and it's always that balancing act. So I appreciate uh, all of the advice um, from a leader and a coach to other leaders, Dr. Hal Lewis. Um, Hal, perhaps most importantly, you've shared a lot of advice. How can listeners find um, you and your consulting services online so they can learn more about your experiences and your services? Very simply, leadershipforimpact.com, leadershipforimpact.com. There I talk about the scope of my work. There are some videos that give people a sense of my style as a coach. I also have a blog on leadership there that may be useful for people, leadershipforimpact.com. Well, thank you, Hal. We could talk for hours, and I hope that we will have the opportunity to bring you back on. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Chicago, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Love, love, love to profile people on this program that are making a difference in the community. Love to profile ways that people in the community can get involved in fantastic organizations. One of those amazing people and one of those amazing organizations is my next guest. Tahil Sharma is the regional coordinator for North America 
at the United Religions Initiative. And Tahil and I met, gosh, I'm thinking uh, two, two and a half years ago um, at several conferences, several, uh, several uh, gatherings uh, where uh, we share a, a passion uh, for interfaith activism. And Tahil, you are uh, you are based in Los Angeles, but your impact is felt nationally. It's such a pleasure to have you on the program. The pleasure is all mine, Shalom. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. So Tahil, I love to get to know uh, the people behind the microphone. T- tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Um, I am a native SoCal born and raised guy. Uh, was born to a dual religious family. Um, my father's side of the family is Hindu. Mother's side of the family is Sikh. And I got into interfaith activism in 2012 after a Sikh temple or Gurdwara in Oak Creek, Wisconsin was attacked by a white supremacist. Um, It gave me the courage and the necessary energy to remember that to push back against oppression and white supremacy in particular, I needed to promote solidarity and cooperation between communities of faith and moral conscience. And that's been my passion for the past seven and a half years now. It's incredible. And uh, to be totally candid with our listeners, uh, Tahil and I actually talked about having having him as a guest on the show already a, uh, a little while ago. But I have to say that, um, you know, it's actually unfortunate um, that the uh, that the situation of the of the of the day is that uh, in in obviously this pandemic, this crisis that we are in. Um, right now, communities uh, of all of many ethnic groups, many religions are uh, being faced with anti-Semitism, um, racial and, uh, and xenophobia. And uh, Tyler, I know that that is something that you have dedicated your career to, uh, to combating. So I'd love to talk about the work that URI um, is doing, um, especially right now in the midst of uh, coronavirus. Absolutely. Um, so the United Religions Initiative is one of the largest interfaith networks in the world. It has over 1,050 cooperation circles, which are our member organizations in 108 countries. And I wish I could give you one way of doing this kind of work during a pandemic. But the fact of the matter is, is this map of or tapestry of beautiful organizations is doing so many different things on the ground. Um, Currently in India, there are a number of cooperation circles that are uh, serving communities in need because of the lockdown. And that's being heightened actually as of right now because of the Category 5 uh, super cyclone that is hitting the east side of the country where Bengal and Bangladesh is. Um, So heightened concerns but heightened needs for action are being looked at over there. Meanwhile, here in North America where we have about 90 cooperation circles functioning, Um, There isn't one way of doing interfaith work, and that's becoming so clear. Uh, There are organizations that are providing food pantries, providing showers, providing um, online spaces for digital worship and conversation. You name it, and it's being done. And that's kind of the, the beauty and the power of when people across difference can come together and create these resources and opportunities for everyone. That's incredible, and uh, Tyler, you you just dropped a couple of uh, a couple of different terms that I want to demystify. You just talked about cooperation circles, which to me 
means that you don't need to be a massive funder, although I'm sure massive funders are always welcome and appreciated, but you don't need to be a massive funder in order to make a difference, whether it's here in North America or anywhere around the world. So let's talk about the call to action for those that might be listening to the program and are concerned about the plethora of issues, frankly, facing people, whether it's in the midst of COVID-19 or whether it's due to hunger or, or, or in, in any part of the world or many, many, many other issues. What is a cooperation circle and what can the regular Joe or Jane do that might be listening to this program to make a, to make a difference? The first thing any regular Jane or Joe should be doing right now is not losing hope. Right now, in the midst of so many things going on, it is for some unparalleled and unprecedented, but it's a very deep reminder of how history does have a tendency of repeating itself. And we have an opportunity to change that narrative and that outcome if we continue to be the hope that we wish to see in the world and be the bridge that can connect communities with one another. Um, when trying to create something like a cooperation circle is all about being people-minded and people-powered. It is not about trying to do things that are unrealistic and grandiose. It's about seeing what the needs are immediately in your community and acting quickly upon it with the resources you have. It's about thinking about your circles of influence. It's about thinking about the web of network that you have at your disposal and making sure you see that common thread of concern, experience, and values that can bring communities together to do this work. It's fascinating. And one of the areas that uh, brought you and I together um, in, uh, as I mentioned, through some of these gatherings um, have been the interfaith and intercultural dialogue. Um, And I know that that is a big part of how um, people can get involved in talking about some of the real issues and addressing some of those real issues. So tell us a little bit about some of the examples you are privileged, I know, to uh, urinate an amazing spot to be able to watch amazing people doing great things around the country and, um, and help facilitate some of those conversations. Tell us a little bit about some of those success stories. Some of the success stories, honestly, have so much more to do with seeing the needs of the moment rather than really dedicating ourselves to the, the larger baggage or nuance that might be uh, in our past. For a lot of communities that uh, seem to see this overlap between the pandemic and racism, for example, um, it's becoming very clear that um, young people in particular want to address the concerns of the disproportionate impact of things like this pandemic on people of color. So there's a cooperation circle called Camp Anytown in Las Vegas. Um, that is hoping to start up conversations during and post-COVID-19 about being able to bring people together and have real conversations about the impact that stuff like this pandemic is having, but that is telling of a larger history of disproportionate impact on so many different issues towards people of color. Um, There are organizations like the Interfaith Initiative of Santa Barbara County that We're doing this program called Shower of Blessings, which would give hot showers to folks that were homeless. Because of the lockdown situation, many spaces that were houses of worship were not allowed to function based on the stay-at-home orders. And although the organization thought it would stop functioning, the city of Santa Barbara then stepped in to start supporting them. And they're now doing even more work than they were before the pandemic even started. 
And this is so telling of the kinds of solutions and developments and strategies that can come out of these physical limitations. Right now is such an important time for incubation. We really need to think about the ways that we've been doing stuff wrong as a government, as a nation, in our communities individually, and individually as our own selves. This is a big time to really think about the ways we can create a new or better future rather than going back to the status quo. Excellent, excellent. And we are uh, quickly running out of time, but one of the things that I found fascinating about the United Religions Initiative, and again, I'm, ta- I'm talking with uh, Talil Sharma, um, who uh, coordinates many of those efforts around the country, is there is a resource library on the URI website, which I find absolutely incredible. And uh, the URI is involved in many important initiatives, including the environment, including, as we said, interfaith and peace efforts. Tell us a little bit about the resource library how people can get involved and where they can contact you, Tahil. Definitely. Uh, so if anyone can visit uri.org or uri.northamerica.org specifically for our region, uh, you'll be able to find the grand list of all of the cooperation circles that are involved with us. You'll be able to find the stories of these organizations and the work that they're doing. And you'll also see a special page on the coronavirus on our international website to really see what organizations are working on now and the information that we're able to share in the midst of a lot of difficulty, bringing hope, bringing um, ideas and bringing skills to a much needed space. Um, And to be able to contact me, you can find me on all sorts of social media through the handle InterfaithMan. Uh, You can find me on Facebook through my name and you can email me at tsharma, T-S-H-A-R-M-A at URI.org. Well, Tahil, I, I appreciate everything that you're doing. And right now is the time that people need to come together. And I know that you have been a, uh, an amazing organizer of those efforts. It's such an honor to have you on the program. And I look forward to uh, hopefully sharing good news with our listeners. Tahil Sharma from the URI. Thanks for joining me on the air. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. You could get on my website, shalomkline.com. And on that website, you can download podcasts from the past six plus years of experts and fantastic guests on this program. Uh, I would like to uh, especially mention that uh, we are airing on Memorial Day and uh, would like to, uh, would like to, uh, to thank are uh, all those that have served and all those that have uh, given to our country. Um, I'm thrilled to be joined by Ed Mizio, who is the CEO of Group Harmonics um, and a returning guest on Get Down to Business, an award-winning three-time author. And Ed is an expert in the scientific study of modifying group behavior, sought-after consultant to leadership and management teams worldwide, and a popular media source. Uh, Ed, it's such a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks for joining me. Shalom. Thanks for having me back. Your program stands out in my mind. I'm glad to be here again. Thank you. Oh, it's great to have you. So uh, we like to talk about the issues of the day, but also talk about advice that is relevant to all of our listeners. So um, you say that nobody knows, yet they act like they do and manage your team well, even as the future changes daily. So you say that the COVID-19 crisis was and continues to be a management crisis. Why is that, Ed? Well, you know, I mean, first, let me say it's a crisis on many fronts, Shalom, and and we shouldn't minimize that spiritual, emotional, you know, economic. There's a lot going on there. But the reason it's in particular a crisis for management is that management is the system of people that steers the organization. And most of what goes on in typical sort of North American management 
is predicated on this unspoken idea that they can see into the future at least somewhat, right? So we make these annual plans. We hold people accountable to goals that are tied to future output. Most of what goes on in traditional management implies some understanding of the future. And, and now with COVID, you know, we don't know next week if we need more office space, less office space, if we're allowed to go in, if we're not, everything has changed. And, and it's a huge crisis for most of what happens in management. Very, very interesting. And uh, what I am also curious about is uh, right now we are we are meeting uh, in a whole new way. We're meeting through conference calls. We're meeting through Zoom. We're meeting in all sorts of different methods. Um, how do you recommend to leaders um, that are trying to move things forward? How can you make useful and productive decisions in a time when Right now, the communication is is unique, and when so much of the business and corporate arena is all about sort of pushing off decision making. Yeah, you know, there's there's sort of a two part danger here, I think, Shalom, and, and it is just that it is. On the one hand, we're tempted to say, "Let's not decide until everything gets clear," and on the other hand, we get into these sort of fear based scenarios where that neurology comes on that sort of says, "We have to make a decision now," right? And either of those is hugely problematic. So. What I'm looking for with the leaders that I'm coaching and talking to is, you know, is virtual new or not? You know, that comes into play. But, but whether it's new or not for you to be virtually, are we having conversations that more or less follow the format of, look, here's a decision that we have to make in a certain period of time. And here's the time by which we have to make it. Here's the information we have with some certainty. And here are some guesses we have that are educated and have more or less uncertainty in them. And how do we put all that together into the best decision we think we can make right now? fully understanding that it might be wrong and we might learn something tomorrow that changes that decision. But, you know, what do we have to do today and what's the best we can do today? And, and being very overt and transparent about that, as opposed to trying to pretend that we know things about the future that we don't know. Uh, Ed, things were already moving very fast. Um, we went into 2020 and, and technology and I think so many other factors as well were, were causing just our worlds to be moving so much faster than even I uh, remember from the past bunch of years. Why is more uncertainty a problem? Well, you know, may maybe in, in some sense it's not because once you're uncertain enough, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, but, but you know, and, and we were, I mean, you and I were talking about this, like you said, in 2018, about the need to sort of iterate and to move forward into uncertainty and to, you know, plan the next best step you can as opposed to trying to chart the future. Because the truth is, if you don't have a map, then you have two choices. You can pretend you have the map or you can acknowledge you don't have the map and head off in the best direction you can and then try and make adjustments as you go. So the more hazy the future gets, the more important it is to deal with that issue of iterative management and iterative problem solving and being plain about taking the next best step we can as opposed to pretending to know the future. And that's where we are. Well, I'm going to have to squeeze in a quick break, but I want to ask you one more thing before we go to break and we'll continue the conversation is right now with that uncertainty that we just talked about, how much of a good manager or more importantly, a good leader is about being proactive versus reactive? When should you stop just trying to be a firefighter and how can you actually move things forward to actually think about the future? Well, I always talk about uh, needing to be looking ahead at what we're trying to accomplish and the way in which the current path we're on is or is not taking us that way. So it's almost like two futures, right? It's sort of the heading we want 
and the heading we think we're on. And the extent to which leaders and managers can be proactive in saying, let's keep looking forward as best we can and keep making adjustments today to stay on course, that's a lot better than just running around trying to put out whatever fire has come up because it seems urgent. Are really, really interesting. I'm chatting with Ed Musio, who is an expert on uh, on leadership, an expert on management, uh, and a uh, he's appeared uh, on many media outlets, including CBS, Fox, uh, the New York Post, CEO Magazine, and dozens of other podcasts and articles worldwide. We're going to continue the conversation after this very quick break. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. More of my conversation with Ed Musio. Um, from Group Harmonics uh, coming up in just a moment. Chicago, don't touch that dollar. You're listening to Get Down to Business. Hey, welcome back. I'm ch- I've been chatting with Ed Musia, the CEO of Group Harmonics and an award-winning three-time author. His best-selling book, Iterate, Run a Fast, Flexible, Focused Management Team, uh, converts 70 years of research and experience straightforward practices and make companies run better. I can't think of a better uh, expert on the topic of uh, of management than uh, in this era, in this uh, day and age, than uh, than Ed. Uh, Ed, we've been chatting a lot about uncertainty in this era of COVID nineteen. Um, I want to continue the conversation. We started talking a little bit about meetings and sort of being flexible with technology and communication. What can be done about meetings and conversations getting? sort of moved aside by so many concerns and issues. We were just talking about firefighting. Um, what, what should be done? What should a leader's focus be on? Well, I think one of the most important things we kind of mentioned before, Shalom, which is we need the leaders to be really critically focused on what decisions need to be made by when. And, and that can be a lot of nuance to that, right? So, you know, do we have to decide messaging to our customers? Yes. Okay, fine. Are there certain elements that messaging that have to come out by a certain deadline or does all the messaging have to come by a certain deadline or can it all be delayed, right? That's a level of nuance that goes far beyond, you know, we have to get an email to customers by Friday, right? And the more that I think our leaders and managers are focusing on that nuance and on, excuse me, on that nuance and on saying, you know, this is what we have to decide now. And then here's what we know about that um, and putting that on the table in, in meetings, the better off they are. The second piece is keep the meetings regular, right? So I need to know where to go with my concerns. And so if the meetings only happen when the boss wants to, then I'm kind of accumulating a list of worries. And when I finally show up at the meeting, I'm going to sort of blab those worries out into the meeting. And when everyone does that, it gets disruptive. But if we have a regular cadence, if the meetings are happening daily or weekly, and we're always constantly focused on what the most important issue of the day is, then I know, okay, if I have a most important issue of the day, I can bring it. If I have something less important, I at least have some sense that things are getting addressed in the order of priority. And so it, it takes an emotional toll off of me and allows me to relax a little bit into that process, as opposed to feeling like I better get all my stuff on the table now because it's my last chance for a while. Those two things are key. Very interesting. So uh, I know many of our listeners are thinking of this question. And right now, obviously, I introduce you, Ed. Um, You've worked with large companies. You've worked with large executives, senior managers. Is this advice limited to them? How can this work at other levels and specifically to entrepreneurs that might be tuning in uh, to the program? You know, I have a weird life because the kind of coaching I do with executives and, and in big and small businesses, I do by being with their whole team. So I get to see a lot of management teams happening, playing out in real life. And what I can tell you is, you know, the advice works everywhere. Is it different for the CEO of a Fortune 500 versus a person who's running a business with 20 or 30 people? Absolutely. The issues are different. The, the timelines are different. The customers are different. The scale is different. 
But what's not different is the need to pull the management team together and say, we're looking at a future that we thought looked like this, that now looks like that. It's different. The course we're on no longer takes us where we thought we were going. What can and should we do today to adjust our resources, adjust our approach to bring our course back on track to where we want to go and or adjust our goals in light of what we now know to be impossible or easy or whatever. Um, if that conversation is happening in a management team, whether it's CEO of a Fortune 500 or whether it's you know the mom and pop shop, that's a good conversation. If it's not, if it's all about what happened before and what just happened today and whose fault it is, that's a bad conversation. And that's across the board. Absolutely. And uh, Ed, I want to uh, switch gears for a moment um, to talk about uh, the graduating class of uh, 2020. And I know that a lot of your advice has been geared towards, uh, towards executives. I want to talk about that graduating class that, as I talked about earlier on the program, um, is entering perhaps the worst job market ever. What advice do you have to them to stand out um, and, to, uh, and to hopefully develop their career sooner rather than later? You know, I think it's easy to sort of talk and a lot of people will say, well, you know, focus on your interpersonal skills, your human skills, all that's important. I think what's really, what really makes people a standout, at least from my perspective and the management teams I've worked with, is individuals at all levels who are willing to say, look, I'm paying attention to the output I'm tasked with. I'm doing my best. And I'm paying attention to the extent to which I'm on or off track with that and the extent to which I can be on or off track so that I can either go invent help for myself or ask for help when I need it. I think that's a specific kind of initiative that goes deeper than just saying, take initiative to saying, deliver on your expectations well, make sure they're well-defined, and then work to improve your ability to deliver on them so that the people you work for see you improving their system around you. I think that makes you stand out. Absolutely. And I've been chatting with the best-selling author of Iterate, run a fast, flexible, focused management team. And uh, Ed, I know you emphasize this line that to iterate is to take the next most intelligent step from here, learn from it and repeat. And uh, certainly that is something that we can all learn a lesson from um, regarding what it means to iterate, especially in this day and age. Um, Ed, you've already shared so many great tips, but I know you have a lot more in your books, plural. Um, How can people find out more about you, the coaching and consulting that you do and purchase the copy of the book? Well, probably the best starting point, Shalom, thank you, is it's the iteratenow.com website. So I-T-E-R-A-T-E now.com. And there's actually a button there that says COVID-19 resources that will get you past some firewalls to some assessments and video content that normally is reserved for buyers of the book. There's also some information there about what we're doing, which I call virtual accelerated coaching, which is, again, working with managers and their whole teams all at once. That got a lot easier when everyone went virtual. I can do it from my desk now. I used to have to fly there. So, so we're able to do some much more cost-effective things there. All of that is at iteratenow.com. Okay, and I have to ask, I like to ask uh, one of our guests uh, every week on the show, what, uh, what is the hobby that you have discovered while, uh, while quarantining? You know, I'm all over the place on my sort of quasi-mountain bike with my seven-year-old, and we used to ride maybe once a week, and we're riding every day now, neighborhoods, trails, everything, and it's been, it's been really good. I'm more fit, he's more fit, and I think we're having a lot of fun together. So I think that was one of the gifts. I'm trying to teach him about the gifts of the problem, and that's been one of the gifts for us, for sure. You are iterating, man of his word. Ed Muzio, Group Harmonics, thanks so much for joining us on the air. Check out his website, iteratenow.com. Ed, thanks for joining me on the air. Shalom, thank you. Have a good one. Absolutely. We'll be back and get down to business in just a moment. 
Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You can check out my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from the past six plus years of shows. And I post uh, exclusive interviews on my uh, YouTube channel as well. Uh, again, check out the website, shalomkline.com. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at shalomkline. So we are all having a lot of conversations these days on Zoom, conference calls, or all sorts of different things. I recently was, uh, had the pleasure of being a guest on a program, and our conversation was about conference calls, now a part of daily life for most of us. Um, so the host of the, uh, of the podcast uh, connected with me because of all of the versions of conference call bingo showing up online. While these bingo cards are incredibly funny, they're also truthful and support the fact that most conference calls are extremely ineffective and hinder productivity long after they end. So I decided to create my own bingo card. I'm happy to share with anybody that contacts um, me through my website, shalomkline.com. So this one focuses on conference calls that are effective, efficient, and engaging. So I'm curious to learn from all of you, from our loyal listeners, what skills, are, what skills are needed for productive conference calls? How can they easily be shared with your team? Every great conference call, whether it's on the phone or it includes video, requires a facilitator. This can be the same person every time, or team members can take turns and share the responsibility. The facilitator supports the success of these calls by, and get ready, I've got a long list for you. You have to have an agenda for every single call. And when you have that agenda, you have to circulate that agenda to all of the participants prior to the call. Along with circulating the agenda that you've prepared, you have to ask participants how they would like to contribute and make sure everyone knows who else will be on the call. Make sure people know how to use the technology. Sure, if it's a conference call, a regular conference call, most of us do indeed know how to pick up the phone and dial a number. But Teach people how to use Zoom, Teams, whatever platform you're using. Make sure you arrive a couple of minutes early. It's okay if you're not familiar with the technology to encourage people to step in to the Zoom meeting room five minutes early. You want to limit social conversations to others who arrive early. Limit the length of the call. Shorter calls, shorter daily calls are far more effective than long weekly calls. Start the call on time inspire participation by encouraging everyone's thoughts, reactions, input, use firm diplomacy to diffuse constant talkers and naysayers and adding unfinished discussions to the next agenda. And finally, finally, make sure you end the call on time and participants. If you are fortunate enough to be the participant on one of these calls, participants support the success of conference calls by reading the agenda ahead of time, telling the facilitator how they'd like to contribute, understand that the technology, confirm your attendance, arriving early, limiting the social conversations, never putting a call on hold. I just want to digress for a second. I don't know if any of you have sat on a uh, conference call and actually ended up listening to somebody else's hold music. Nothing more frustrating than that. While everybody tries to figure out who it was that did that, it's hysterical. Make sure you press mute If you're not talking, put yourself on mute, limit the background noise, and use cameras on video calls when possible. And even if you are a participant, make sure you are encouraging others to contribute. I guess in a nutshell, what it boils down to is making sure you're prepared for the meetings, whether you're participating as as the host or the moderator of the call, or you are attending a call, prepare, read the agenda, 
communicate ahead of time, arrive early, understand the technology and make sure you're using it effectively. Things like putting yourself on mute. Don't put yourself on hold and force people to listen to music that they don't want to listen to. So right now in a, in the era that zoom calls and conference calls are a part of our life, make sure you're doing it as effectively as possible. Again, I've got that conference call bingo card um, available and you can get in touch with me through my website, shalomkline.com or through any of my social media channels. Um, and I'll, I'd be happy to pass that along to you. To success, let's get down to business. Hope you are having a great Memorial Day weekend. And uh, thank you all. Uh, thanks to those that have served to success. Let's get down to business. 